And 2 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 22, 2 Samuel 3, verse 22. We're doing a series on David, the model of a growing leader. And in this series, we believe that God is going to encourage all of us to be leaders because that's how he created us. That's his purpose for our lives. He wants us to see ourselves as leaders. And so we're learning a lot of principles about leadership from looking at at the life of David. And tonight we're going to begin in chapter 3, verse 22, where we left off last week. And, And immediately when we're diving in here, we're reminded that a lot of leadership is learning to handle people. It's just learning to handle people and situations. Because what David now has on his hands is this. That if we remember from last week, Abner had killed... Joab's younger brother. And yet in the meantime, David had entered into an alliance with Abner. Abner switches his allegiance from Ishbosheth to David and says, okay, David, I'm going to help you get to the throne uh, over all of Israel because I know that that's what God wants anyway. And so David, we talked about last week, We've got to be cautious. We've got to be careful as we enter into alliances with certain people and make sure that they can be trusted. But David must have felt at this point the leading of the Lord to enter into this alliance with Abner. And for the most part, Abner does help sort of accelerate David to the throne of Israel. But what we find out is Abner uh, then leaves and Joab comes back, not knowing what has taken place. And the Bible basically says in verse 23 of chapter 3, when Joab and all the army that was with him arrived, Joab was told, Abner the son of Ner came to the king and he sent him away and he left in peace. And Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Are you crazy? Now, Abner obviously hates Joab because Joab murdered his younger brother. But the principle that I want to bring out at this point is this. David was not going to take up an offense for someone else. If Abner, if Joab had an issue with Abner, that was between Joab and Abner. From David's perspective, he was judging Abner based upon the leading of the Lord and what Abner presented to him. And sometimes that's what we have to do. I'm not saying that we don't take into consideration the views of others about others. But let's face it, folks. That's a slippery slope if we just rely on the views of others about others. Because let's put ourselves in there. Would we want certain people to judge us or make a determination about who we are just based on what certain people say about us? Because they might have gotten out of sorts with us. We might have done something or they might have done something and, and they just don't like us. So therefore, when our name comes up in conversation, they're going to have a skewed perspective that they're going to spin about us to others. And David, being a good leader, is never going to allow what others think be the primary thing 
of determining how he views somebody. He's going to take them based upon the leading of God and based upon their own merit. In 28 years as a pastor, I could give you example after example. In fact, faces even now are popping into my head of people that say came to our church at some time and other people said, oh, you want to look out for them. They're trouble. They caused a bunch of trouble at our church and you know, they're, they're troublemakers. That may have been at some point. It may not have been at some point. And let's all face it too, the message of the Bible is that people can change. Maybe at one time they were. But I know this for a fact. That if I would have just relied on what others thought about them, then my perspective on those individuals would have been forever skewed. Same thing, opposite. You know, uh, oh, they're wonderful. Man, our church wouldn't have survived without them. And so you're, you, know, you begin to think, wow, well, we're glad to have them, right? And they never really become a faithful, consistent pillar in the church. So we have to be careful as human beings, and especially as leaders, that as we handle people and we judge people, we take them on the leading of the Lord and how we view them. We cannot let perspectives of others always drive the way we look at other people. And David wasn't going to do that. Even though Joab was upset. And so Joab basically says, I think you're crazy for entering into this alliance with him. He's up to no good. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And so he left. We're not going to go through all this, but Joab then begins to premeditate the murder of Abner. The reason I say that is when you go down to verse 26, uh, the reason Joab made sure that Abner was outside the city gate of Hebron was Hebron was a refuge city. In other words, no one could be touched within the gates of Hebron. So he was very careful to make sure that he coaxed uh, Abner outside of the gate and basically murdered him there in revenge for the murder of his brother. And the Bible says in verse 28, when David later heard about what Joab did, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord of this. And, and the thing that David as a leader is trying to do at this point, remember, he's only king over one tribe. The other 11 tribes haven't bought in yet. And one of the things that's very evident to David is, if God wants me to be the king over all these tribes, then I've got to trust God to bring that about and give it to me rather than me through brutality and through force and through murdering all my rivals, take it. Because we've talked the last couple of weeks about the fact that every time David took matters into his own hands, messed things up, just like us. But when we learn to wait on God's time and trust God to bring it about in his time, and that's exactly what David was doing. His throne was not going to be established on murder and brutality. If, if God was going to ascend him to the throne, then he wasn't going to have to, like I said, take care of everybody around him. God was going to bring it 
about. And that's what we have to remember too. Just like today. If God wants you to have that promotion, you've got to trust God that God can bring that about. He's very capable. You don't need to put down everybody else in the office or make them look bad in order for you to look good in order to get that promotion. Same, same thing here. This is exactly what... And, and throughout this rise to the kingdom in leadership of David, we always see that David is running into people who are uh, politically expedient people who are trying to come alongside of David and sort of take a shortcut to the top. And David is very, well, well I've waited 15 years for this. I don't believe God is interested in shortcuts. He has a purpose for everything. And so David here wanted to make sure that, look, this, this is not me. And basically then he starts to lead the nation of Israel in mourning. He's weeping. In fact, in verse 31, he says, Tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, lament before Abner. The king even, David, followed behind the funeral bier. And so they buried Abner in Hebron. The people were crying and mourning and they wept. And I want you to notice in verse 36 that as David especially, the king was weeping, that all the people the Bible says noticed this. Whether you consider yourself a leader or not, people are watching you. They're watching what you do, what you say, how you react, all that. And that's exactly what the word means. They paid attention to, they regarded what David did. And notice it also says, it pleased them. The word pleased means good, right, beneficial. It was like, wow, this is the kind of leader we want. We don't want a leader who's going to establish his kingdom on murder, violence, and brutality because we've had enough of that in our history. We like a king who, who wants to come to the throne and wants to lead and bring about unity and peace rather than always fighting and war and all that. We've had enough of that. We, we like this guy. He's not like the other kings up to this point. In fact, it says everything the king did pleased all the people. And all the people, verse 37, of Israel realized on that day that the killing of Abner, the son of Ner, was not done at the king's instigation. As they saw how David reacted to Abner's death, because I'm sure it was like, well, David had him killed. It's like, no, there's no way. His, his grief is sincere. And notice what David says in verse 38. Then the king said to his servants, do you not realize that a great leader has fallen this day in Israel? Today I am weak, even though I am anointed as king. Now here's a great point. The word weak in the Hebrew means to be tender, to be gentle. And David is making a, a really important point about leadership. That yes, David was a strong leader. He was a firm leader. He was a courageous leader. But there's a time for all of us to be tender and gentle. Leaders need to learn when to be strong and firm, hard, if you will, and when to be tender and gentle. And this was an opportunity for the king to show himself in sort of a vulnerable state. And that's okay. It's okay for leaders to weep. It's okay for kings to show themselves in this manner. 
we need to do the same. We don't always have to put up a front that we've got everything under control and it's not bothering us and all of that. That's not what God's looking for. God's looking for genuine, real people. People who are touched. People who are touched by the what they see going on around them and they're moved and they have feeling. And we see that with David. And then I love what David said. He says, these men, these sons of Zeruah, they're too much for me to bear. And very interestingly, again, in the Hebrew, the words too much for me to bear mean harsh, cruel, severe, fierce. In other words, David is saying, you know what I don't like about these guys? I mean, they're great in war. Obviously, these are guys you'd like to have go to battle. But they can't off the battlefield shut off that fierceness, that cruelty to others, that, that intensity. That It's just, it's too much. See, leaders have to learn in each and every situation what is the proper way to act. And some people only have sort of one gear, if you will, that they lock into. And each and every situation and each and every person, that's the way they handle it. And that's what David is observing here. He's saying, these guys, they're always pedal to the metal. They're always intense. They're always severe. They're always harsh with everybody. They're always cruel with everybody. That may work if you're in the midst of a battle. But that doesn't always work in all these other areas that leaders need to be involved with. As Ecclesiastes 3 says, you know, there's there's a time to go to battle. There's a time to fight. But there's a time not to fight. There's a time to be tender and gentle and not be so harsh and not be so cruel and not be so fierce. And so David says, may the Lord punish appropriately the one who has done this evil thing. Then chapter 4. Ishbosheth was Saul's son that Abner had propped up as the other king of Israel, you remember. And notice what happens when Ishbosheth finds out that Abner has died, the Bible says he was very disheartened. Here's what not to do as a leader. By the way, the word disheartened means to sink down, a loss of strength and power. Why was Ishbosheth so disheartened? Because Ishbosheth was putting his trust in a man. And so when the man was removed, then guess what? Ishbosheth had no foundation. That's why God says, be careful. If you as an individual, as a leader, are putting your trust in another man, another human being, rather than me, if you're putting your trust in something other than me, It's going to fail. And when it fails, guess what? Then you're going to fail, right? Because you're you're tied up with them or that. And once that can be taken away, and it can all be taken away at some point, then where does that leave us? That's exactly what we see here. That's why the Bible teaches us, ultimately, our trust, our hope, has got to be in God who is immovable, who is the only stable thing in this universe. Because human beings will let us down. Human beings won't always be able to be there. Even the best of men are still simply the best of men. And anything we put our trust in on earth 
if it's man-made or temporary, is still at some point going to fail us. And then, like I said, if that's what we're trusting in, then we fail. I mean, just take, for example, our own country, where many people, because money is their security, if they put their money in the stock market, and that's where they're trusting, and the stock market fails, then guess what? They jump out of buildings. They can't handle it. Because they have placed their trust in something that ultimately can fail. That's what Ishbosheth did. And God is using him as an example of what not to do. And then the Bible says, we're introduced in verse 2 to some people that were part of Saul's raiding units. And again, politically expedient people. Hey, we see an opening here. We're going to go and murder Ishbosheth, cut off his head, take it to David and go, David, aren't you proud of us? Now you're going to give us some big, big position in your kingdom, right? And again, I don't want to take the time tonight, but you go down through here. David reacted the same way to them that he did that young Amalekite back at the very beginning. They bring the head of Ishbosheth. They're so proud. Hey, David, we killed your enemy. Aren't they making a presumption? We've already learned Saul's not David's enemy. David's forgiven Saul. David's forgiven the house of Saul. David isn't seeking revenge against Saul or any of his sons or anything. He's put that behind him. So when these young guys come with the head of Ishbosheth and say, All right, David, look what we've done for you, David's not impressed. In fact, David handles them the same way he does the young Amalekite. He has him killed. David does not want to establish his kingdom, his rule, on brutality. He wants it to be by the moving of God. Which brings us to chapter 5. This is the chapter I really want to get to tonight. Because this is really good. Guess what? After 22 years since David has been anointed by Samuel, 22 years have passed, David finally now is going to be embraced by all the tribes of Israel. The Bible says in chapter 5 and verse 1 that all the tribes, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. In the book of Chronicles, it doesn't say in Samuel, hundreds of thousands of people attend this event and say, look, we are your very flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the real leader in Israel. Wow. A couple things there about growing as a leader. One, the word leader here means to go forward with purpose and clarity. That's what God wants to see in our lives. That's how we become leaders. Because people today are looking around for people who have some purpose to their life. They know where, why they're here and they've got a clarity to their lives. Again, not three and four steps down the road, but, but they know the direction God wants them to go in. And they're going. Because that, that's so unusual today. Most people are just sitting there and spinning, not really knowing, why am I here? What am I to be doing? No clarity in their life. They're confused. All it takes to be a leader is to have somebody with purpose and clarity. 
be nice to have somebody like that in Washington. (laughs) But here's the other thing I want you to see. This is also reminding us that when they say, David, you were the real leader when Saul was king, that David was proving himself before he got that position. He was being faithful in what God did give him at that point, and that's what God wants from all of us. We see this throughout David's life. Even before most of the world knew who David was, he was that shepherd boy out there faithfully tending his father's flock. The only person that really cared and saw was God. Even his own family really didn't think much of David. But God noticed that David was being faithful in the little things. And so God saw his heart and said, there's a man after my own heart. There's a guy who takes care of sheep the way I want my king to take care of my people. I'm going to make him king. And so toiling in obscurity, he was faithful. Sometimes you and I are li- in our lives, the greatest things we will do, sometimes nobody else will notice. Sometimes the most important things that we do are when we're by ourselves in obscurity. The way we handle ourselves, the way we live our lives, the way, the way we are when no one else is looking and no one else is around. That was David. And so even when they said, you were the real leader, even when Saul was the leader, it was like you were just, you were just being faithful to the opportunities that God gave you. Because we're going to take that responsibility little bits at a time. Because God is going to prove his leaders through giving them responsibility, seeing that they handle it, and then give them a little bit more. And that's exactly what we see with David. Secondly, the Lord said to you, the word said here means to call. They recognized that God's call was on David's life. God chose David. They didn't choose David. God chose David. God called David. Folks, one of the most powerful things in your life and my life is when we know that this is what God has called us to. This is what God wants me to do. There's a calling. There's a leading of God in our lives, and we see that with David. Then he says, you will shepherd my people. First of all, the word shepherd means to feed, to nourish, to lead, to pasture and grazing land. A leader, a good leader, is someone who's going to feed those around them, nourish those around them. God wants to see us do that. God wants to see our life, even as a Christian, be that. That's why the picture of the, of the fruitful Christian life is in Psalm 1, the tree. Its roots are deep. And its fruit is is forming and and the branches are going out providing shade. And it's like God wants to build our lives like this fruitful tree that people can get shade from, people can get nourishment from, that just being around us, that they get nourished and fed. We're like this overflowing spring that as we allow God to work in us, it just overflows to others. That's being a good shepherd. And then notice... Another thing a leader needs to keep in mind is that the people that they are leading aren't their people. Notice, you will shepherd my people. 
too many leaders, even in Christian circles, begin to think that the people that they are leading are theirs. They're not. We're just stewards. They're gods. Just like parents. Those kids aren't our children. They're gods. He's just giving them to us for a time to manage. But they're not ours. They're gods. That's the way it is with any of us in leadership. It's not our people. It's God's people. And then he says, you will shepherd my people Israel. You will rule. The word rule here means to lead, but it also has the idea of being conspicuous. Whether we like it or not, God wants to call us out. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to Him. It's the concept in the New Testament about let your light shine. Don't hide it. People say, well, I like to work behind the scenes. Okay, you don't necessarily maybe have an upfront ministry like Nicole does, like I do or whatever. I understand that. Not every Christian is called to that. But every Christian is called to let their light shine. To be conspicuous. Now, here's here's where the balancing act takes place. Because I have to be careful that as I allow my light to shine, that I'm not doing it to draw people to me. And that's where we as Christians have to make sure that we always check our pride. And make sure that we stay humble before the Lord. Because God calls us out. So that the world will see the light that we have. That's why God sometimes just takes a Christian and even though we're not, it's like, puts us out there for others to see because he wants people around us to see our faith and our hope and all the Christian virtues in us. And the only way to do that, instead of hiding our light under the bushel, as Jesus said, is get your light out. But when we do that, there is that temptation to begin to, as we get out there and people maybe begin to notice that we start to draw attention to us rather than reflect that to God. It's a constant struggle. But that is what we are to do. And then he goes on to say, you will rule over Israel. But the word over in the Hebrew language means on behalf of. Again, the reason why God raised up David to lead Israel was so Israel would be better off. See, many times, again, even in Christian leadership, Those who are leading are better off, but the people they're leading aren't better off. Can we go back to that Washington thing again? Where leaders in our own country like to be in positions of power and prestige and leadership because that makes them better off, but the people they're leading aren't necessarily better off for it. God says, in my kingdom... When you and I are leading anything, it should make whoever we are is around us better off too. They should be better off for being around us and being under our influence and our leadership. When all the leaders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, verse 3, King David made an agreement with them in Hebron before the Lord. A couple things. First of all, the word king means to reign, but it also means to give counsel and advice. God wants us 
to so be walking with him and in his word that we are able to give counsel, good biblical counsel and advice to people. That's important. God wants to grow us to that. All of us as Christians, every Christian, as we grow, should be able to give biblical counsel and advice to others. And notice something else. You see commitment here. The reason King David made an agreement with them, a covenant, a pledge, is because effective leaders are committed to the people that they're leading. This wasn't no hired gun or hireling like Jesus talks about in John chapter 10. Someone that was just going to come in and sort of take care of the flock again for their own benefit. This was a this was somebody that was committed to his people and in a sense that I pledge myself to you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to cut out when things get hard. I'm not going to cut and run. I'm here for the duration. Because God wants us to live in such a way that people can count on us. Very little loyalty anymore. I don't know whether they're going to be there. And that's why I think it was important for me right at the beginning of this church's history to say, guys, I believe with all my heart that God has planted us here and we're going to be here till I die. Now again, people are going to come and go, but at least they're going to know, okay, there's the oasis, there's Jeff, teaches the word, this is what that church is about. It's there. People want it, it's there. They know it's there. There's a stability there. There's a commitment there. You see. You and I all know that, are we really going to be committed to something if we don't know that something or someone's committed to us? No. And you see that here with David. And then it says, he made that agreement with them in Hebron before the Lord in front of his face or presence. And so they designated David king over Israel. The Bible says he was 30 years old. It gives you all the details. Now I want you to notice this. Up in verse 6, the Jebusites actually had controlled Jerusalem. I, I don't want to take too much time here. I've got about 10 minutes left. Before Jerusalem was actually named Jerusalem by the Israelites at this point in history, it was called Jebus because the Jebusites had occupied Jebus for hundreds of years. Back to Joshua. The Israelites never totally drove the Jebusites out. So actually, Jebus was the name of the city. David needed a capital city. He was now going to the, the king over all Israel. And Hebron wasn't going to be good. It was too far in the south. David was looking for something by God's leading that was going to be more in the middle of Israel. Something that was going to be between the north and the south. Something that was going to be centrally located. And God led him to Jerusalem. It's what God promised them way back with Abraham anyway. This was all part of God's covenant with Abraham. And so the Jebusites are there. And the Jebusites even say, you cannot invade this place. Even a blind or a lame person is going to turn you back. We are so impregnable because we've had people try to take this city for hundreds of years. Nobody's been able to take the city of Jebus. You're not going to take the city of Jebus. You ever had somebody in your life tell you you can't do something? That's exactly what it said. They said, David cannot invade this place. Literally in the Hebrew it says no. It's like they said to David, no. Wait a minute. Maybe people say no, but what's God say? God says yes. And so we have to learn sometimes that there's going to be times in our life where people around us are going to say no. 
you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Whatever. We've got to do. What does God say? God said, I want you to go take that city. Long overdue. And notice verse 7. David captured, seized the fortress, literally the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Don't be intimidated by the strongholds out there. If God is saying yes, it doesn't matter how strong the stronghold is, how impregnable it has been up to this point, how hard it's been to overtake or overcome. With God, it can be overtaken. David said on that day, whoever attacks the Jebusites then must approach the lame and the blind. Basically, it became a nickname for the Jebusites as a result of this event. I also want you to notice, though, how did David get through the city of Jebus and capture it? Notice it says in verse 8, he did it through the water tunnel. Leadership is being innovative, creative, looking for other options when the first, second, or third option maybe doesn't work. That's a leader. Maybe, I don't know for sure, because I don't know all the history about enemies trying to take the city of Jebus. I don't know if anybody even ever tried to go through the water system to get into the city to capture it. But we do know this, that that's the way David and his men went. They went up through the water system and they overtook the city. And the Bible then goes on to say, David lived in verse nine in the fortress called the city of David. David built literally built up all around it from the terrace inwards. He wanted to build something that was lasting, something that would continue, something that was established. And that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to build things in our lives that's just going to be short term. He wants us to build things that are going to be long term, lasting things. And then notice verse 10, David's power grew steadily. In fact, in the Hebrew, it basically says David grew steadily. We always need to keep growing. If we stop growing today, we stop leading tomorrow. There's never a time in our life where we should stop growing as a Christian. And then here's maybe the most important thing. The Lord God who commands armies, the Lord of hosts, who goes forth and fights, was with him. That's the most important thing. God was with him. That's why he was able to accomplish things. That's the confidence that we need. When we know that we are doing what God is calling us to do, what he's asking us to do, what he's leading us to do, then we can have all the confidence in the world because as we've already learned from our study of first name, the battle is the Lord's. God was with him. He was going to overtake whatever obstacle was in the way because this is what God wanted. The Bible says in verse 11 that Even the king of Tyre recognized that God's hand was on David and offered to build David a palace. And I love this in verse 12. It says, David realized that the Lord had established him as king. It means to recognize, to acknowledge, literally to confess. David didn't get to a place even now where it was like, well, look at me. Look at what I've done. It was always, God, the only reason I'm where I'm at is because of you. You're the one that opened up the doors. You're the one that gave the opportunities. You're the one. It's your power and your strength that helped us to overcome all of this. It was because of you, God, that I am where I am. And then the Bible says, Israel 
had elevated his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Boy, that's important. Don't, I'm going to go back there. David realized, verse 12, that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had elevated his kingdom for the sake of his people. Again, David was put in that position on account of the people. God wanted to love and take care of his people through David's leadership. That's important for us as leaders to remember. Because again, they're not our people. They're God's people. I want to go down. Verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been designated king over Israel, they all went up to search for David. See, even when, even when David became king, it's not like no challenges, no resistance, no opposition. There's always going to be resistance and opposition. There's always going to be battles to fight at times. So the Philistines weren't happy that David was king, so they go up to fight. And the Bible says that David, verse 19, asked the Lord, inquired, sought, should I march up against the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord said to David, march up. Literally, keep climbing, keep ascending, keep going up. Again, David asked. He didn't presume. He asked the Lord, God, is this what you want? He didn't take matters into his own hands. He didn't just go out there on his own. He made sure that the Lord was with him as he went. Notice verse 20. So David marched against Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has burst out against my enemies like water bursts out. Literally, to break through or down is what David is saying. God helped me to break through or down. So he called the name of the place Baal Perazim, which means God of breakthroughs. <laughs> I want you to remember that tonight. As you leave here tonight, God is a God of breakthroughs. He is able to help you and I break through things that we could never break through or break down on our own. Whatever stronghold, whatever opposition, whatever resistance, whatever obstacle, whatever hurdle, you name it, whatever it is, God, remember, He is a God of breakthroughs. What does God want you to break through tonight? What is it that, that's holding you back? What is it that he wants you to get through and finally see it from the other side? Then notice verse 22. The Philistines again came up. Our enemy sometimes is persistent. Sometimes we have to fight the same battle over and over again. It comes right back around. But notice what David did, verse 23. He asked the Lord again, consulted with God, what should I do? Wow. See, the temptation for all of us, and this is where we see David is growing, is that the temptation would have to be, well, I fought these same people earlier, and this is what I did to defeat them, so I don't need to ask the Lord. I'll just go and do the same thing I did before. But notice what God says. This time, verse 23, the Lord said to him, don't march straight up. Instead, literally, change direction. Don't do the same thing this time. A different battle plan. Why does God do that? Because God wants us to learn to trust in Him each and every time and not trust in our experience of handling the situation or our wisdom of how we handled it before. And folks, can I just say, wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks. 
Because there have been many times in my life where, let's say, I handled a, a situation or an individual or something some way, and that same thing came back around. And instead of asking God, God, do you want me to handle it like this, this time? I just handled it like I did before. And God doesn't always want us to have the same strategy each time that we might even do the same thing. Because God wants us to always, each and every time, trust Him for the victory, not trust in our own experience or our own wisdom. And so I love this. God said, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the trees, verse 24, act decisively. That's the next important principle. Be decisive. I mean, when you know that this is what you need to do, don't, don't be half in. Put it all in and go after it and be decisive. Sometimes it's like, well, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. No, God says, go ahead. Be decisive. All in. Do it. And the Bible said, for that at that moment, the Lord is going before you, literally in front of you, to strike down the army of the Philistines. David did just as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines from Gibeon all the way to Gezer. A lot of principles in here tonight about leadership, about growing as a Christian. I want to go back to this. Verse 10 of chapter 5. David's power grew steadily, for the Lord was with him. What is that next step in your life, in my life, that God wants you and I to take in our growth? What is that next step? It's all about growing each and every day, taking that next step that God wants us to take. God did it with David. God wants to do it with us. And don't ever forget, God is the God of breakthroughs. You may have come up against something in your life that you have battled with for maybe even years and can't seem to get over it or on top of it or through it. God can help you do it. He can help you get through what no one else can. Trust Him. It can happen. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God that just so is involved in the details of our lives and wants to work with each and every one of us to wring out of our lives all the potential, all the stuff that you created within us, you want to bring out. There's so much there, Lord, in each of our lives that maybe we haven't even tapped into yet that you want to bring out of us. We see ourselves in such sometimes small ways. Help us to see our life bigger. Every Christian should be able to approach every day seeing life bigger. Because you're in it, God. And you're a big God. And you want us to see our lives bigger than we do. You want us to see us bigger than we do. Because we're connected to you. God encourages us as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. Sorry I ran over. See you on Sunday.